Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Super excited to have a conversation with my guest today. She is my homie and fellow change maker. I have Marche Gendrew with me. Hey, Marche. Hey. hey. How you doing? I am doing great on this, on this day. I am so glad. So I'm going to start with you like I do all my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? Um, so my labor of love is, um, helping people, um, navigate life through education, empowerment, support, access, and resources, and not only just navigating life, but even, even, even specifically institutionalized systems. And I feel like that's kind of twofold, right? Because I feel like, you know, that embodies, like I embody that, you know, my labor of love in my personal life and also in my professional life. Um, and, you know, the institutionalized system, yes, it mirrors both, but it definitely highlights more of my professional life and just, you know, helping folks, you know, just, you know, navigate life and especially, you know, in spaces where we're not often seen. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that so much because... You know, I talk about it uh, all the time, <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes we we're so used to systems that we don't recognize we're in systems mm-hmm. like there's been a normalcy that has, I think, for most people we just go, well, this is just it. You turn five years old, you go to school you know, you turn this age, you do that, you do this, you do that. And because it feels like, well, this is just what we do. People don't mm-hmm. understand that there are, there are institutions and systems that are at play, that it's not necessarily the normal. It's just what we've been doing. So mm-hmm. navigating, uh, navigating systems when you don't follow that path or fit into those boxes can be very challenging. So how about you know, kind of taking us back to how, where did this, when did this become important to you? How do you know, or how did you figure out this was a passion and labor of love for you? Oh, that's a very great question. You know, um, it's go crazy because I, I was telling somebody, you know, for a better, you know, I'm 41. So, you know, when I first graduated, you know, high school into like, you know, my first set of like set of school if you will because I kind of you know was one of those one of those people where I went to school for a long time until I actually figured it figured it out um but essentially you know I have been in my own bubble in my own box and not just being aware of like you just said like systems that we're in and just like you know the impact of it right and so for me it really honestly didn't start until like probably my early 30s, um, where I actually started to like really pay attention to, you know, how the systems have failed me. And just like, even in my own personal journey, um, you know, I reflected upon my, you know, being the only black girl all oftentimes on my sports teams and just, you know, not really understanding like how it impacted me and not really understanding like, you know, damn, like these folks is for real, for real racist. And, you know, and, and it's like when you don't know and, and then you reflect on it, it's, it, for me, it was just like, it was such a eye opener for me. And so, um, you know, I have been in my career, um, the social services, if you will, or social work for probably, I don't know, 15, almost 15, 16 years now. And so I began this work early on, probably, you know, in my late mid, probably 
what, early, like my mid-20s, you know, 24, 25, and I was, you know, started to create my own pathway to school. You know, I really started to work with a lot of people. And I'm just like a nurturer in general. And I love to help people. Like, I didn't know it then when I was younger because I wasn't able to, like, depict those things and be like, oh, like, this is something that you like to do because you're often always, you know, wanting to, like, give birthday parties to people or you wanted to celebrate people. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, I, I've been that way since a little kid. And then, you know, I've started to, you know, when, when my career really chose me, I was just like, wow, like, I really, 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 really love, like, helping people. Like, it was it, it was a joy, you know, to to help people solve problems or to you know, get them, you know, a resource or, you know what I mean? Or just like, you know, just help them with a telephone number. You know what I mean? Like that excited me to like be able to help them, you know, accomplish something or or to help them navigate something. And so for me, it was, it was just natural that I really kind of fell into, you know, this space of like wanting to help people in my, in my professional career and just also in my real, in like my personal life, I'm always that cheerleader, always wanting to like help people and, you know, and, and support people in, in all all the ways that I can. And so it just kind of manifested there. And so when I, you know, got my started to get back into educate, get get my education, going back to school um, to get my master's um, in social work. I really began to like deep dive into like policies and like re it really started to open my eyes like holy shit, like, the education system is a, is a, it's a problem, <laughs> like, it's a huge problem, like, and I didn't realize it until I, you know, became an intern at the Cincinnati Federation of Teachers, like, I didn't, it didn't really click until I got into this space where I was being educated about, you know, policy in Ohio and our school systems and just, and I'm like, I, I am a product of these systems. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's just like, it's been messed up for years. And so that's really kind of like where my career just kind of really took off and where I really wanted to dive more into, you know, more macro level, like larger systems policy, as opposed to what I had been doing, which is more individual work with children's and families. Mm -hmm. That was I, pretty loaded. <laughs> no, you're good. I, I like loaded because I, I can do stuff. Break it down. Yeah, I feel you on that. <laughs> well, and, and what I appreciate the way, yeah, taking us on the journey, it is not uncommon um, that when I ask this question to so many people, even if they haven't really thought about it before, they think back and they go back to childhood, you know, when they realize who who they were and who they who they are is who they have been without the extra layers of all the stuff that life throws at us. And right. so I, I appreciate you sharing that because it's something I always try to help people like get back to, especially when people sit in this this space that can be pretty frustrating where they're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know my purpose. I don't know my labor of love. Like, I don't know. I'm just out here. I go back to what did you enjoy and who were you before survival became the focus? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. when when you, if you have ever had a part in your time in your life, even if it was very, very early for making sure that you were okay was the thing that your brain and body had to prioritize because maybe we didn't have other people in our lives to do that for us or maybe we were in some pretty dangerous and unsafe situations what did you enjoy what did you like what did you not if we can go back there because it's it's there it's in there it didn't evaporate it didn't go nowhere so I appreciate even going back to being like I was the person that liked to throw birthday parties you know I was the person who liked to celebrate people that means something you know, mm -hmm. that's our essence and work. And I appreciate that. And lately it's, excuse me, it's been so funny because I've been talking to people. I've just been like, mm, that sounds awful. <laughs> like not interested. <laughs> nope. You know, it feels, it feels almost as good to me to recognize the things I don't want to do as it does to mm -hmm. recognize the things I do want to mm -hmm. do. Because as a person who spent so much of my life shape-shifting and people-pleasing, 
Mm-hmm. That literally meant that I would take on complete attributes yes. um, that weren't genuinely mine, mm-hmm. but I felt would help me be connected or find a sense of belonging. All of it was in ser- in service of belonging and connection. And so I've just done a bunch of stuff that I want to do. And so I f- I find it liberating to be able to look at somebody and be like, yo, that sounds awful. And I'm glad you love it. And yeah. I know that it's your labor of love and you ain't got to worry about me coming for your job. Like, <laughs> so knowing, knowing what we don't want to do, what we don't like, what our body constricts with is as important as knowing what it expands. So I appreciate yeah. that so much. And then you got to talking about micro versus macro. Now those words, I think they make sense to us, but break that down for me, for folks who might be like, I've heard them, but like, what do that really mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in 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 the in the those words in the social work um field means macro means, you know, serving large populations. Um it means, you know, um where social workers are focusing more on like policy, you know, they're, you know, they're more like in like nonprofit organizations and you know, they're in grant making spaces, they're in social and in, in um, politics. So, you know, macro is, again, just think of it in like larger terms and larger communities and and, um, and make a change that way. And then micro is, is simply what it is, individual children and families. So that's just working with someone on the individual basis. Um, so um, social work, um, you know, deal specifically with like clinical. So they have clinical social work and um, typically the micro falls under kind of that, that realm. Is there a word that means in the middle? Oh, Ooh, yeah, there is. I can't, you asked me way too fast. My bad. There is, there is, (laughs) there is a one that's in the middle because oftentimes, you know, micro and macro overlap each other. Yeah. You know, um, so where, you know, and that's kind of where I fall in the middle, which is, you know, what I really kind of pride myself on. And I'm sure, you know, as someone that's, you know, in your field, well, also too, because, you know, we're, it's just so many things that you can do with as a social worker than just, you know, be in the hospital settings or be in the school settings. Like, you know, you got social workers are CEOs of large nonprofit organizations. And I'm I'm saying making crazy changes in in system changes, right? Like large system changes. So um yes, all those things can overlap where you're still you're still working with folks and individuals, but just more on a larger scale. Yeah, I appreciate that. It feels like an appropriate moment to make a distinction. Cause mm-hmm. I because people, what I realize, and, and there's no shame in this, but people you work with people, people don't know the difference between a social worker, a counselor, a therapist, a psychologist, uh, a psychiatrist, and all yeah. of those things. And so, you know, I am a counselor. I'm I'm licensed as a, a licensed professional counselor. You know, Shay is a social worker. And, and some right. of the work we can do can look the same. They have clinical social workers, as she was naming, who are going to be therapists, therapists mm-hmm. and counselors. Hey. And you also have to have a license to have to be um, a social worker, right? So you have to, it's a L-I-S-W, which stands for Licensed Independent Social Worker. I have never taken my licensure to become a licensed social worker. Um, I'm a social worker by me getting my master's at, um, at the master's level. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to do therapy and work um, as a counselor, you got to get licensed in both of those fields. Um, right. And I will say, you know, people ask, I get asked a lot, people who are interested in certain things, the path, if you want to do therapy, you're going to have to be licensed, whichever path you take. But so, so the social work field is so expansive across a whole lot of things, um, like, like Shay was mentioning. And as an LPC, um, I have created expansion for myself. <laughs> so, you know, on one hand, I, I'm a micro worker. Um, you start talking policy, politics, my head starts hurting, <laughs> my chest start getting tight, my breath start getting short. And I'll be like, yo, <laughs> right. Um, 
However, there is overlap. And so I do work at macro level type things, one in collaboration. If you ever see Shonda out here doing it by herself, she has been taken over by aliens and y'all need to do something. But if she collaborating, it's because I can bring my Shonda size piece to every collaboration and add what I add. So, you know, we still out here trying to get uh, childhood trauma declared as a state of emergency. We still out here trying to do that, oh right? That's macro level stuff. And yeah. we are touching local, state, federal, you know, yeah. all this stuff. Ron Hummins is still, you know, like doing all, so much of the legwork on that. And I work with organizations, you know, I come in and I say like, hey, Y'all, 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 y'all got to do some things, right? Because a lot of organizations, let's say nonprofits, are working with folks who have experienced all kind of systemic trauma and relational trauma, developmental trauma, and they don't understand that they'll actually do more harm than help. So I do work in macro levels because I train people who do the work, right? This podcast is macro level stuff. Yes. You know, the fact that we get on here and we're having these conversations that can reach the masses that that is at no cost to people like the accessibility of it is macro. And then you come into the, the therapy room with me and that's micro. That's where the individual, really the couple, the family working with that. So I I appreciated you mentioning that because I think, you know, if people don't know, they don't know. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think people hear the word social work and they social worker and they automatically think like caseworker. It feels synonymous to a lot of people. You know, my mother, aging adults, she, you know, has medical things. And so she has a social worker. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't actually know if that person is a social worker. It's just what she care people, you know right yeah. she's like oh i got a social worker and she may or may not be mm-hmm. a social worker. nurse she yeah a lot of things but you know no shame people just kind of lump things together i get called psychologists like all the time so you know what i mean and be like nah that also is not my bag but you know <laughs> it's all good so you talked about the education system i want to bring it back there for a minute because mm-hmm. As you were talking, I what I thought about was like, so I grew up in Detroit. Okay. And my my parents were adamant that they did not want me to attend public school. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, when I look back, it was kind of major sacrifices they were making to send me to a private school. Mm-hmm. And growing up in the 80s, the only private school options we had were Catholic schools. So we were not religiously Catholic. As a matter of fact, the majority of the kids I went to school with were not yeah. religiously Catholic. However, this was like an attempt for parents to send their kids to a private school that I think the the um the mentality was that it was going to be safer. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get a better academic education. You're going to get a better social environment. Um, and so that was kind of the the methodology for a lot of people that I went to school with. That's 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 why we were sent to these schools. And I was Catholic educated from kindergarten to 12th grade. But I was just thinking, like, despite the fact that I'm a first generation college attendee, what to do after high school was never an option. I honestly, literally didn't know there was another option. Like you go to college, <laughs> like you don't ask somebody. So what you gonna do after second grade? Like you just go to third grade. So it was. I I have reflected on how interesting it is that yeah. college was non negotiable, and but it didn't feel pressured yeah. to me. I didn't feel like it was a bad thing. But that was the step that was next, even though no one in my family had taken that next step. And, and so I'm intrigued by, you know, as you stepped into kind of seeing the education system, what were some of the things that stood out to you that helped you realize that the system itself was just kind of all over the place? Ooh, first of all, what you just said resonated with me, like tenfold, like ten, tenfold. Um, but I, I think for me, it was the politics, like in which it was different. It's the red tape around around policy, right? That impacted our children, and specifically, like 
black and brown kids, right? Like it's the policy, even if it's just like the way that you dress, you know, down to um, the, like how parents interact with like the principals. Like there was just so many barriers to like our education system that I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. And then I think about the money. You talked about like the Catholic schools and, you know, they get money off of our off of the public school systems. So for each head that's in the Catholic school or private school, they're taking money off of public school education for each child that is at a at a private school. That's almost like twelve thousand dollars a kid. And for high school students, I think it's like maybe twenty thousand, maybe fifteen to twenty thousand. Like so that's money that's taking that's being taken away from the ex public education system that's being put into a private institution for quota. So I, I even that those policies are very harmful and impactful because when you think about our especially like our black neighborhoods, I think about Woodward, I think about Carson, like think about all these schools that are in these spaces are in black neighborhoods or, or impoverished neighborhoods that barely have clean water, barely have, they, they don't even have libraries. Like their curriculum, I mean, their curriculum is the, the most basic curriculum there is. Like, how do you, how do, how does a child even prepare to go to college on, on these curriculums? You know what I mean? So those are the things that I was seeing immediately that I was just like, wow, I had no idea. And even tax abatements and how that impacts like, you know, the taxes of like, you know, as a homeowner, you know what I mean? Again, in these black neighborhoods, you know, tax abatements are that, that impacts our families, especially black families. I was talking about that with a friend. Say more about that, right? Because as I was talking with her, I was like, you know, well, let me say this part first. And I'm gonna have you come back and like further that education a little bit, because what I've what I've come to understand in the last couple of years specifically as I've really tried to um, objectively mm -hmm. look at my life experiences. When I go, how did I get here? I'm not, it, it's, I'm taking away good, bad, right, and wrong. And I'm just saying, what are the pieces that have led to this? And so yeah. one of the things that going to a Catholic school in Detroit did for me was that Catholic school was not near my home. Mm. And so um, there was never, you know, I've never been bused. Um, we had to drive about 15 minutes to get to my school, um, my kindergarten through eighth grade school and my my high school. And where I lived, I lived, I was central, literally around the corner from Central High School, centrally located on the west side of Detroit. And so everything that I did, you know, most of my living was away from where I slept, where I I lived away from where I slept. Mm -hmm. That that impacted me, right? Like, um, what is good for me is never where I am. That's what I mm -hmm. internalized without realizing I was internalizing it. You know, when I was growing up, it it felt if you lived, if your friends lived in the suburbs, they had it going on. There wasn't right. this whole, you know, oh, let's move to the heart of the city kind of thing. And so I absorbed that. So before I got to this point of self-awareness and really just examining this stuff, I lived out what I had absorbed. One, mm -hmm. make your way to the suburb, right? Because there's, it's better. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, and, and it wasn't because it was different. It wasn't formed as, well, you do get more land. You do get more this, da, 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 da. Nope. It was, it was better out there. Mm -hmm. So the move, right? The schools are better. Is what yeah. I was always told, right? So when I get yeah. to the point to needing to educate my children, you want to go to the better schools. But what they don't talk about is how are they better? Why are they better? Yeah. Right. And and how you know things are distributed, like the taxes we pay go to the school, all the things. And so when we were looking to buy a home, we were actually looking to build, we built our home. Mm -hmm. We had some, we were looking at some different places and what was really interesting I, to be for real for real I didn't even know what it meant yeah because what they do is they give you they tell you something without giving you all the information and one of the places we could have gone they were saying like yo we got a 15-year tax abatement 
And that's like, if you build here, you won't have to pay taxes on this house for 15 years or whatever. And on one it hand, good. Like, it does sound good. You like, dang, okay, no property taxes for 15 years, right? But at the same time, we were literally going, do we want our child to be educated? In this particular school system. And it was interesting because it's the school system that my husband grew up in that he went Mm -hmm. to high school in. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, I feel like it was like going down way back then. We talking 20 some years ago. But he's like, now it's wild. Like, I don't know. And what we not about to do (laughs) is pay for private school. (laughs) Right. That's a route that we not taking that my parents took or whatever. So it wasn't until sitting with my friend that we started, she started helping me understand the impact of that tax abatement on education, why she chose to live where she lived and stuff. And I just don't think that's something that a lot of people talk about. So can you help us understand like, what, what is that when people are, you know, getting tax benefits and all that, how does that impact our families and education? Well, it's, I mean, essentially, it's its really just as simple as it, what it is. It's just like a, a real, a tax abatement, um, which is tax-free money that you will get on your house. The problem with that is, is that that tax abatement is um, dependent upon the property, um, the area in which you live in. So, for example, if you live in, let's just say College Hill, for example, and you have a house, a $200,000 house, you have a tax abatement, you get 15, let's say this 15% off for a tax abatement, that money then gets poured into the property taxes, which or in, into the house, which then shoots the property value up, which is a good thing. The problem is, is that money is then not poured into the school systems, it's being poured back into the neighborhood. So, for and and the bad thing about that when you think about it is it's it's basically pushing out people pushing people out of their homes essentially so you got the oldest say take say for example Bond Hill it's one of the oldest neighborhoods in Cincinnati they are revitalizing it as we speak right now right and you got folks moving in they get tax abatements the property value goes up in these neighborhoods. The problem is, is that the older folks that can't afford the tax property on these homes. And so they're being forced out of their homes, which the property values go up, right? All around the neighborhood. But again, the money is not getting dumped into the school system. It's getting dumped into these revitalized neighborhoods and to the pockets of developers who come in, who get rich off of these tax abatements because you know, they're the developers. They're the ones that are doing the development. Um, And also the city plays a a big part in that too because of the negotiations that they have between the developers um, and and cities. So, um, and I don't want to, you know, get too deep into that because I definitely don't want to mention the wrong thing. However, it's all, it's politics, it's all intertwined. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate the boundary. I appreciate you illuminating that. I think for me, what it did is it helped me realize that I don't ask nearly enough questions. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes it's about, you You know, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't even know. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know until I got into this work, until I got into my internship, you know, and that was just back in 2017, 18. Like, so this is like new information for me. So- I'm like yo like I'm like like I'm at city council like I'm like going to trying to talk to like city councilmen I'm writing letters you know what I'm saying I think about my mom and all of the hard work that she's putting into her home and it's like you think you guys about to come into the neighborhood and then just like force her out like no like that I'm like mom do you know this is happening she doesn't even know yeah you know what I'm saying and that's the part that I think you know, again, my labor of love is just like educating my people about like what is really happening, you know, in our communities. You know what I mean? Like, you don't think these decisions impact you, but they really do impact us. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's important for me to empower 
you know, like my people, you know what I'm saying? Even my mom, like, you know, even she didn't even know, but it's like, mom, let me, let me educate you about what's happening. And like, these are the things that we can do to prevent this from happening. You know what I mean? And, and so on and so forth. Tell your friends, you know what I mean? All it takes is just, you know, telling somebody about something, and, you know, and then it's like spray like wildflowers. But, um, yeah, I just it's it's important to really pay attention to politics in, in Cincinnati and just in general because you know our livelihoods are tied up into it. You know, I, and it's also you know I've and it's so crazy that I'm this way, but it's just like and only because I was in my own world and lived in a bubble and wasn't thinking about nothing of this sort, right? But it's it's I I've. For me, it's like, it's a civic duty. Like, it's important that we pay attention to this stuff. Like, like our, our for generations to come, like, our lives depends on this. You know what I mean? Like, because if not, like, you, you just never know. Elections and voting, that stuff is important. What comes up for me as we're talking is capitalism. So mm-hmm. on one hand, I'm going to say like capitalism is why I can own my own business. I acknowledge that. I know that there are certain systems that exist that would not permit me or anyone else um, to be business owners and kind of decide how we make income. Yeah. And I want us to just listen to the name of it. Capitalism. Like it is its whole basis. How do we capitalize off of? And it Mm. will not pass up. The system itself will not pass up an opportunity to capitalize on anything. Being that we are reared in this system, many of us operate very capitalistically, even relationally. That's a word. You better talk about it. We, We out here trying to capitalize on our relationships in so many ways because the air we breathe the water we drink everything is telling us like how how do we get the most out of this thing and so when I have been doing this reflection and just self-awareness when I say I don't ask enough questions I mean that I don't ask okay I I see some clear benefits from this now what might be some drawbacks right so I there are three questions that I encourage folks to ask when they come across any belief and I use it here as well. The first question is who told me? Mm-hmm. Like where did I learn it? Is the source credible? Like is is the person who or people or organization that gave me the information, do I trust them? Are they credible? Have they done their due diligence or are they just passing on information? The second question I ask is like is it true? Yeah. Or is it still true? Some things that were true before, you know, aren't necessarily true now. And then the third question is who is benefiting and who is being harmed by this thing? And if we can get to that last question and we really do look at benefit and harm, we we will have more difficult choices to make because mm-hmm. sometimes it seems real easy. Oh, that's a no brainer. Obviously, we want to revitalize the city right obviously we want we want to make it look good obviously we want more sports teams like but is it obvious because if we get to that third question and we go okay who's being benefited Mm -hmm. who's being harmed Mm -hmm. right and is it enough if I fall in the benefiting category is that enough for me not to look at who's being harmed because just because it's not me doesn't mean it won't be my kids as kids Right. So it's the foresight that that we sometimes lack because the packaging comes real appealing and because capitalism really it's interesting. I was going to say it teaches us like you got to have it right now. Mm Kind of. So it teaches you got to have it right now, but it also teaches you just wait until you retired. Right. Yeah. At 65 years old, when the average lifespan is 73 and they calling you middle age. No, homie. Like when you realize <laughs> that the system is so it is capitalizing off of our own understanding or lack of understanding of the system and all the beliefs and ideologies that it has pumped into us. That feels really important for me to say, because I just think we got to ask better questions of ourselves. We got to teach our children 
to ask better questions. We have to, as families, as community units, ask better questions because just because we can't see the negative impact on ourselves right in this moment doesn't Mm -hmm. mean, I mean, I'm paying for some shit that I didn't do generationally. That don't feel good. So I'm very intent to say I can't prevent everything, but I don't want my grandkids and great, great grandkids paying for things that I could have avoided had I just considered them. Yeah. And I, I was just, I, I'm glad that you said that because I think it, it takes a bit of awareness and that's just only just from my own personal experience. You know what I mean? Um, because I, I wasn't always aware. Like I, when I say that I was in my own world, in my own bubble and really didn't think about anything, anyone, you know, let alone <laughs> like a policy and how that's going to reflect years and years and years, you know what I'm saying, down the road. But even as the years, you know, has moved past and and prayer, and thankfully I'm still here and being able to like recognize it, you know, it's like I was the problem, you know what I'm saying? Like I was unaware. I was the one that, you know, was living in this world of like, you know, I wouldn't say fantasy, but just like, I just wasn't in reality. Like this, the, the like, but I feel like I am truly in reality, which sucks because it's just like, it's like almost like the more where you become, the more pissed off you 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 are, mm-hmm. you know? And that's a real thing because it's just like, but at the end of the day, we don't know to ask questions, right? But it, it I, I say, it really takes a, um, it, it takes, I, I just think that it takes a lot for you to really think about who you are and think about your experiences as, as a child. And some people, some people can't do that. Some people, it's very tough to reflect upon, you know, our traumas and because all the things that we put on our back, like you said, that it wasn't ours, that we still carry, that we can't get off and we can't see. So we we're in survival mode. So we can't look at anything else. We can't think about anything else, which oh, is yeah. totally understandable. Like how good you for real surviving takes away our peripheral vision absolutely right we our capacity to look outside of ourselves and around us is compromised when we are in survival the other thing is i want to be real you survive for so long you get to a point with somebody offering you a little bit of thriving right now why wouldn't you take that yeah like why wouldn't you do that so there is no shame or shade it's just the reality of how the systems work. This mm-hmm. brings to mind for me the importance of true diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Because with true diversity and inclusion, what we do is we invite voices to the table that aren't being heard. Mm-hmm. So there are times when I have seen the frustration of others. I have experienced the frustration of, like I said, how can I know what I don't know? You know, I might make a decision that negatively impacts someone. And then all of a sudden people are like, how could you? And it's like, how did I know that was a thing? So one of the things that's so interesting to me, and I, so I'm going to bring up, you know, your best friend, Erica, mm-hmm. Eric, you know, Erica's been on the podcast. Brittany's been on the podcast. And so when Brittany started Girls Health, period, even before it was a 401c3 or is it a 501c3? I think it's five nonprofit 501c3. <laughs> you know, Brittany, you got to go back to season one. Uh, she's my hairstylist, hashtag more than a stylist. And she was collecting pets. She's our stylist. She is our stylist. (laughs) Me and Shay run into each other all All the time. time. Maybe like, what did you see when you wouldn't get your hair done? Um, (laughs) And she was collecting menstrual products. And cool. Like I've brought several donations, but I did not understand period poverty. I did not know it was an issue, period. Mm -hmm. Like from the moment I was 14 years old and I started my menstrual cycle, I had access to products my mom had them now they I used what she used because that's what she used and it wasn't until I got a little older that I you know kind of was like I prefer this right Mm -hmm. but I had never not had access to menstrual products yeah ever so Mm -hmm. I literally did not know that was a thing that people were missing school and work and not being able to leave home because they did not have access 
to menstrual products. It blew my mind that that not only that it was happening, but that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I can't, you can't, we can't know every single issue that exists. However, when we make a commitment to having a diverse set of people in our lives, including them in conversations, all of a sudden people bring their self-interest. One of my really good friends, Daniel, he's been on the podcast too. We talk about self-interest a lot. Self-interest is not selfish. Yeah. When you come to the table with your self-interest, right? You are not only representing yourself, but a whole bunch of other people who have yeah. the same interest. Having a seat at that table means that now people are aware that there is a thing going on. It's why we're fighting so hard for childhood trauma being declared a state of emergency. Hey, you don't know what you don't know. That's cool. But let me come to this table and tell you. Let me enlighten you real quick. What is happening? This thing that you see, I get it. You know, there's so much money being put into, we got to stop the gun violence. We got to stop the violence, period. This homeless houselessness is crazy. You know, the education, the kids ain't learning. And I'm like, oh, 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 pick me pick me you keep throwing all your money at the symptoms mm-hmm. can we please address the nope. trauma nope. that's that's what we're saying right and nope you didn't know that but what happens when we exclude people from the table mm-hmm. or when everyone sitting around the table have the same or similar self-interest everybody look alike everybody been educated in the same places grew up in the same places y'all having the same conversations and you think you expansive you like, yeah, this is a big deal, but that's because you haven't invited me. Accessibility is mm-hmm. a huge issue because you don't have anyone who's disabled sitting around the table to tell you, um, hey, this is a big deal. So when yeah. I hear you talking and, and it's, it is, we don't know what we don't know, but sometimes we don't know because we don't invite people to the table. And we, even if we do, we don't listen. I agree. Like, people start talking and we start trying to poke holes and why what they saying ain't really what's happening. Oh, but this, oh, but that. Can we just shut the hell up sometimes? Yeah. Can we that's, just but that's trust issues. That's the trauma. That's the trauma coming up. You know what I mean? But yes, I totally agree. I, I think it's a it's a dual responsibility. You know, I don't think it's just solely on one, you know, what we don't know, what we you know, things that we don't know, we don't know. But also at the same time, like you said, like having people at the table and people being put in a position to come to the table. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that's also another thing too, is just like, we got to grab that next person and pass the baton to the next person so that we can make sure that we got a, 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 a another Erica, another Brittany, you know what I'm saying? Another, you know, Daniel, your homie, you know what I mean? We need like people to be pulled to the table, you know what I mean? To 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 be able to, to make that movement, which is why... I really, really, really love working at Queens Village. Like Meredith does an amazing job of like, I'm when I say she pulled people up and put people in rooms, like that's the type of stuff that we need so that we can hear and then we can go extract the information and put it into the community because that's how that's again, again, it's the piece of, and I'll say it again. It's just like if we don't know what we don't know, but if we get those people at the table that we can listen and then we can, you know, extract those people into the community and release that information, like that's the power. That's the revolution right there. So talk some more about Queens Village for folks who, you know, don't mm-hmm. know the organization. What's the organization? What work do y'all do? Yeah. So Queens Village, um, it is a nonprofit organization that sits under Cradle. It's really an initiative under Cradle Cincinnati, which um, focuses on um, infant mortality um, and maternal health. Um, In Queens Village specifically is for Black women um, of childbearing age. We create spaces um, and um, we create events for Black women um, whether, again, it doesn't matter as long as you're childbearing age, we provide resources. Um, you know, the cool thing also about um, Queens Village is that um, being under Cradle Cincinnati, we have a, another team called um, the Connections Team, which they specifically deal with our, like, hands-on with our families, uh, where they're providing 
more of the basic needs, right? So if there's a crisis or anything that's happening, um, our Cradle Connections team, um, as well as Crystal Brown, who works on our Queens Village team, will be there to um, assist the families in any way that we can. Now, I appreciate that because something mm-hmm. that I've also been thinking and talking about a lot lately is if I dug down several layers into why I think we are experiencing so much of the stuff that we're experiencing, right? We can name the trifecta of capitalism, white supremacy, and patriarchy, right? But but they're effective because they've they have dismantled the village, mm-hmm. right? Ideologically. So now we got folks, I'm putting myself in that. I got a partner. I'm married. We we over here raising three kids. It was never supposed to be that way. Mm-hmm. Parents didn't raise kids. The village raised the children, right? So we look at um, increased anxiety and depression amongst parents because all this responsibility was never intended to lay on the shoulders of one or two people, mm-hmm. right? There was a collective village that supported one another. You know, knowing that a, a mother who had just birthed a baby, tired, exhausted, if you like me, lost a lot of blood, all that stuff. I wasn't the one responsible necessarily for breastfeeding my baby for the first time. There was another mother whose milk had already dropped who would pr- provide that sustenance for my baby until I could be back to health to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? That is just not how we function anymore in our particular culture. And so, so mm-hmm. much of the reason why a queen's village needs to exist is because the village is virtually gone. And that breaks my heart because I can now look back in the past and present and be like, man, now I have a village. I can call on my people. Like I can be like, yo, you know, I'm reestablishing my village. Mm -hmm. But so many times I needed a village and I didn't think that's what I needed. I just interpreted it as a personal defect or deficit on my part. I'm failing. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good wife. I'm I'm lazy. All these narratives that we've been given, oh, that's just yeah. not accurate. So, you know, even I feel like aptly called Queen's Village, it's all about surrounding ourselves with people that we are we're we're responsible for them and they're responsible for us. Capitalism says you're responsible for yourself. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? You win it for yourself. Don't let nobody stop you. And and that is how so much of it, you know, when we are accountable to one another mm-hmm. making sure that everyone is educated becomes a totally different conversation than how our education system currently exists when forget that i'm gonna just take my kid over here out here where they can get theirs and i and i'm transparently talking about somebody who live in a suburb yeah out here sending my kid to a suburban school right i i can see it in there and this is not the jump five steps ahead and go like disenroll move to since no but it's let's be aware mm-hmm. of the impact of our decisions yeah. um and let's be aware that when we want to judge other people you know that there are systemic things involved so you can't just look at that kid and go oh they don't want it they lazy they're not smart you know capitalism also teaches us to individualize all of these things success and failures as personal achievement uh-huh. and then uh-huh. as long as we're looking at the individuals we ain't got to look at the system right it keeps them scot-free i will keep saying that's why i'm a non-diagnosing therapist i yeah. refuse to use the dsm to say that the problem is the person i'm sitting with when i know the problem is the system Right. So from an integrity standpoint, I won't even do it. Mm. Right. Now there are consequences. Now that means I, I can't take insurance because insurance is you got to diagnose. Mm-hmm. I say I won't. Right. That that means that things are not accessible. But these are the questions I'm talking about. Who benefits and and who is who benefits and who is what's the other word I used? Um, I say it all the time and now I can't think of it. Who's being harmed? <laughs> who's benefiting and who's being harmed? And I'm not saying asking them questions give you neat answers. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard when you yeah. got to make that decision. But I feel like if we can do that and we keep talking to folks, 
then the the number of people that benefit or you got to do like me and you say, nope, I'm not going to take yeah. insurance. All money ain't good money. Yep. <laughs> and my prices are, are, are not accessible to most people. Right. Mm -hmm. I acknowledge that. And I still got to support my family. However, if you listen to this podcast, you listen to a labor of love that I offer that don't cost nothing, that the pro bono work that I do and the way mm -hmm. that I work on a macro level. Right. So sometimes we got to figure out how to navigate going back to your labor of love. Mm -hmm. I'm navigating systems just like everybody else. Yeah. Ooh. Woo. Yeah, honey, <laughs> we can talk about that forever, honey. I know. So, Shay, is there anything I didn't ask or we didn't get a chance to talk about that you're really hoping that we had an opportunity to? No, I feel like it was a good flow. It yes. Good flow. Excellent. So, if people are listening, they like, she dope, I want to reach out to her, or I got a question, or, you know, hey, let me learn about Queens Village, whatever they would want. How can people find you and get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm also going to be starting my consulting business here soon. It's funny, you, you know, just, it's funny, we've been talking about this and just like our labor of love and just finding different ways to expand on that. Um, I that that's going to be coming down the pipe soon it's Ooh. like it's yeah yeah it's like one of those things like jump off the porch Marcia jump off the porch you are you 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 already know what your labor of love is come on do that thing so the hard work is already done at this point really you know is. what it is and yep. this and this podcast has really inspired me like I'm like oh oh yeah like okay like God don't make no mistakes because let me tell you like it's it's been a journey, but anywho, so listen, y'all want to connect with me, you know, uh, whether you want to like, you're interested in social work and you want to pursue, you know, you know, some folks that's in that field and want to pursue it, um, or you want to know about Queens Village, want to know more about my journey, um, hit me up at Facebook at Marche, um, Gendrew, M-A-R-C-H-E, uh, with an accent at the top of the E, it's French. Um, last name is spelled G-E-N-D-R-E-W. Um, my IG is Marche. It's Marche. So it's M-A-R underscore S-H-A-Y uh, for folks that don't know how to pronounce my name when they see it. Um, and then uh, my LinkedIn is just my name, Marche Gendrew, um, M-A-S-W. So those Excellent. are the three ways you can connect with me. Perfect. So y'all know we'll have that information in the show notes if you want to reach out. Shay, I just want to thank you for taking the time today to really just come in, have this conversation with me, share yourself and your labor of love with me and my listeners. I appreciate you so much. Keep doing amazing work. I love what you do and keep shining. I will. I will. I thank you. You know, y'all, typical things. I want to thank Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media, who produces my podcast, as well as my nephew, Trey Angel, who provides all of the music. want to remind y'all that I still got a Patreon out there if you want Patreon exclusive content, but you also want to support the work that I do that doesn't cost you anything, but costs me and my family a lot. We're on all the major social media outlets. If you got uh, suggestions for guests or content, Hit up my website, www.thelaborsoflove.com. Scroll down on that uh, welcome page and there's a place where you can put that information in there. And lastly, if you have not written us a review yet, what are you waiting for? If you have not given us a five-star rating, do that right now, right? Um, until we connect again, you all be well.